And now, time for seafood news. Welcome to the Seafood News Podcast. This episode of the Seafood News Podcast is brought to you by the fourth annual Association of Genuine Alaska Pollock Producers, a Wild Alaska Pollock meeting, taking place at the Western Seattle in Seattle, Washington on October 17th, 2022. The Association of Genuine Alaska Pollock Producers, also known as GAP, is working to promote wild Alaska pollock in major whitefish markets around the world with a focus on Europe, North America, and Japan. Their goal is to educate both seafood buyers and consumers about the superior benefits of wild Alaska pollock. The theme of this year's wild Alaska pollock meeting is strategically building awareness and demand for the perfect protein and will bring together representatives from all segments of the wild Alaska pollock industry, marketing experts, and visionary speakers designed to challenge the status quo and inspire collaboration for tackling future industry challenges. Topics will include economic updates, consumer research and trends, the results from the new Gap Always On Wild Alaska Pollock Awareness and Demand campaign, and much more. Seafood News and Underberry are proud to sponsor this event. Gap would also like to thank the Port of Seattle for its gold level sponsorship. To register for the meeting, please visit alaskapollock.org. Don't miss out. I'm Seafood News Managing Editor Amanda Buckle. And I'm Erna Barry, Seafood Market Reporter Lauren Signion. In our top story, the UK has officially imposed a 35% import tariff on fish from Russia and Belarus. As Seafood News previously reported in March, the UK government announced a ban on exports of high-end luxury goods to Russia, as well as new import tariffs on key Russian products in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Whitefish was among those listed to face an additional tariff increase of 35%, but by early April, the government said that they were going to review how the tariff might impact the UK seafood sector before implementing. In early May, the UK announced a new package of sanctions on Russia and Belarus. Those new sanctions, which targeted 1.7 billion euros worth of goods, were designed to further weaken Putin's uh, war machine. Now, beginning July 20th, the UK introduced additional duties of 35% to a third package of goods originating in Russia and Belarus. Fish and crustaceans, mollusks, and other aquatic invertebrates are listed under additional duties, as well as extracts and juices of meat, fish, or crustaceans, mollusks, or other aquatic invertebrates. Prepared or preserved fish, caviar, and caviar substitutes prepared from fish eggs and crustaceans mollusks, and other aquatic invertebrates prepared or preserved are also included. That was great. I just want everyone to know that Lauren did not mess that up at all. (laughs) One and done. (laughs) Now, according to the UK government, depending on when the additional duties were applied, traders need evidence that the goods finished export formalities and left Russia or Belarus before July 20th, 2022. But what about seafood items that are Russian-caught and processed in a third country before being exported to the UK? We kind of had a similar issue um, in the U.S. I mean, we banned all Russian food, but there was a gray area where everyone was very confused. So it wasn't exactly clear about the the origin. But yeah, the government really never are. <laughs> yeah. So is this or? But Seafish, they're a UK public body created to support the seafood industry. They're clearing up any confusion surrounding the thirty five percent tariff. Thank you, Seafish. <laughs> so according to the group, a seafood item is considered Russian origin if it is caught within Russia or in Russian territorial waters um, and or by a Russian flagged, Russian registered vessel from sea outside any country's territorial waters. Now, these fish will be subject to the additional duties of 35 percent. 
However, processed fish products that are caught by Russian fish vessels, but then subjected to specific processing operations in another country are not expected to incur additional tariffs. Now, they do go into a little bit more detail because this could still be a gray area of what exactly, you know, specified processing is. Um, as Seafish explains, a product obtains the origin of the last country in which it was substantially processed. So even if it is a fish that was caught in Russian waters by a Russian flag vessel, if it's substantially processed outside of Russia, it will not be subject to a 35% tariff. A product is considered substantially processed if it results in the manufacture of a new product or represents an important stage of manufacture and it takes place in an undertaking equipped for the purpose. Actions like changing packaging, breaking up, or even simple operations like matching, washing, or cutting up are not considered substantially processed. This means that actions like freezing or portioning by themselves are not enough to constitute substantially processed. But flaying, pinballing, um, a product could also be classified as substantially processed because it goes beyond the simple operation of cutting up. The same can be said for vacuum packing because that requires the need for specialized equipment. So things get a little gray when it comes to rules of origin and tariffs on products made in China and the EU from Russia uh, and the EU from Russian fish. If the origin of the raw material is Russia, and there was insufficient processing in China or insufficient processing in the EU, like simple repackaging, then it's subject to a most favored nation, MFN, rate of duty, which is the standard of duty and an additional 35% tariff. If the origin of the raw material is Russia and there is sufficient processing in China or sufficient processing in the EU, like converting HG to filet, then there's just a MFN duty. Finally, if the origin of raw material is Russia and processing in the EU results in a product listed under the product-specific rules, like certain breaded products with commodity code 160419, then there is no tariff. In other news, Bristol-based storied salmon run just keeps shattering records. As of, <laughs> the crap as, well. uh, as of two days ago, the run surpassed, sorry, as of two days ago when we're recording this, um, <laughs> uh, the run surpassed ADF&G's jaw-dropping forecast of 75.27 million sockeye by over 100,000 fish. So the total of 75.389 million sockeye returning is made up of a harvest of 57.645 million sockeye as of Tuesday. But the fleet is still fishing, pulling in an average of 700,000 fish a day since July 16th. Now, if that average continues slowing at the current rate, another week of fishing could bring the fleet above the projected harvest of 59.94 million sockeye. But the run isn't the only record breaker. The crack goes wild again. <laughs> the other component for management is escapement to Bristol Bay's Nine River Systems, and that has also outperformed the forecast. As of Tuesday, a cumulative escapement of 17.744 million sockeye has been recorded. That's more than 4 million and growing above the 13.46 million projected. That's awesome and encouraging because there are so many species that I cover where photos have been cut yeah. and cut and cut. So it's nice to see these increases. So make sure to check in on Seafood News for updated numbers. In other news out of Bristol Bay, U.S. Coast Guard examiners discovered a problem with imperial immersion suits that could mean the difference between life and death. A Marine Safety Information Bulletin issued by the U.S. Coast Guard's 17th District in Alaska reveals the Coast Guard discovered what appears to be an issue of glue delamination or lack of adhesion on recently manufactured imperial immersion suits. 
The delamination and adhesion issue was noticed in the area where the zipper assembly meets the face piece and again on the footpaths. Now the discovery was made during routine inspections in Dillingham on late, uh, in late June. In the emergency suits, formerly known as survival suits, are distributed by UK-based Servitec and made in Mexico. On June 28th, the 17th Coast Guard District Commercial Fishing Vessel Safety Office informed Servitec of the findings. Shortly after, Servitec reported that they had found a similar issue in an imperial emergency suit in their inventory that was from a different lot number than the ones initially identified in Alaska. The company told the Coast Guard that they had seen suits in Canada with a similar defect, and more suits in Alaska had been found with the same problem. At this time, the extent and seriousness of the issue is undetermined, and the 17th Coast Guard District recommends that vendors, owners, and examiners of Imperial emergency suits take a close look at these suits when conducting visual and tactile inspections and exercise caution until amplifying guidance on the use and or disposition of these emergency suits can be obtained and distributed. That, that is, like I said, they, they don't know the extent of it, but that is scary. I, I tried one on um, during NFI's Future Leaders program. We, we got to take a uh, safety at sea survival class. I remember that picture. You look like Gumby. I do look like Gumby. <laughs> but it's it's just like, you know, imagine the circumstances where you have to put that that suit on. So, like, it's obviously tense. Like, your boat might be taking on water. You know, right. your vessel might be taking on water. You might already, you know, be in the water. Mm-hmm. You know, and then if, like, if that delamination, like, if that's, like, allowing water to get in. And, like, imagine how cold that water might be. And now that suit's taking on water. Like, that's a, that's a scary situation yeah. if that is. And you don't think the, the waves, I'm sure, are crashing over you and that's not helping and yeah yeah that's, that's, that's serious yeah so hopefully they get that resolved meanwhile the acquisitions keep coming for fortune international as the company announced it was it has acquired new orleans fish house a top supplier of wholesale seafood and specialty products to top chefs and restaurants in new orleans and throughout the gulf south new orleans fish house was founded in 1990 and has grown a reputation to become a recognized as providing the highest standards in Gulf seafood, as well as a wide range of other specialty and protein-based products, including beef and lamb. The business has grown from a small fish house in New Orleans into a top supplier of fresh seafood to restaurants, retailers, and wholesalers from Eastern Texas to the Panhandle of Florida. Fortune sees its move to acquire New Orleans fish house as a way to boost sales in the region through improved cross-selling of respective products and will increase logistics efficiencies and route synergies, resulting in improved service for Fortune's customers in New Orleans and New Orleans fish house customers in Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, and Florida. The three owners of New Orleans fish house will remain with Fortune. Terms of the transaction were not disclosed. Now, in some interesting technology news, uh, Regal Springs, a major tilapia producer, has partnered with aquaculture technology firm Ace Aquatech to bring in-water, high-welfare stunning solutions into its processing facilities. The new tech will be introduced in the coming months and follows months of successful trials in Mexico. Regal Springs was eyeing a stunning solution to harvest its fish and address the interest from consumers for responsibly sourced seafood. Research has shown that 9 out of 10 global consumers prioritize buying from companies that have uh, ethical sourcing strategies in place, with 83% willing to spend more on a product if they can guarantee it meets a certain level of criteria. Would you Would you spend more? Yes, I would. Interesting. If I had the money, I would. If I had, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I, and, and this is something... Uh, it depends on 
Yeah, how close payday is. <laughs> and that's, I think that's such a good point. And it's something that was brought up at the Women in Food and Agriculture Summit I went to last month. It's just that like, yeah, everybody wants this stuff, but like you are going to have to pay up for right. it. Yeah. And especially with like everything going on right now, like I want it, but like if it's between choosing that or something like cheaper, I think right now, unfortunately I'm going right for something a little tough. bit cheaper. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Regal Springs Sustainability Manager, Emily McGregor, added that this is a huge step forward from thermal stunning to a more humane and controlled stunning process, and with this towards better fish welfare. As a side effect, also process and quality parameters improved, reduced bruising, better quality of the fillets, better working conditions for staff. This supported Regal Springs' decision to move from pilot trials to immediate uptake of the equipment and proliferation across their business. The announcement comes two years after Ace Aquatic received one million pounds in funding from the Humane Slaughter Association to improve pilot stunning equipment to farms that had no humane harvesting in place for finfish. Very cool. And finally, let's take a look at some June retail data and talk more about why Laura and I are so cheap. <laughs> so the uh, the National Retail Federation and RFF, they are reporting an increase in spending despite rising inflation. So the National Retail Federation, they look at all retail sales, excluding automobile dealers, gasoline stations, and restaurants. Um, overall, June is up 0.6% from May and up 5.8% unadjusted year over year. Um, looking specifically at grocery and beverage stores, in June, they were up 0.4% month over month, seasonally adjusted, and up 7.5% unadjusted year over year. I mean, you kind of get to the point where everything's so expensive that you're just like, whatever, just you get what you need. No, but seriously, when I'm out shopping, I'm now, I'm just, I'm looking at what's on sale. And honestly, I don't, the only thing I bought this week at Costco that wasn't on sale was I found these, um, these pre-made, uh, breakfast bites. Cause I'm trying to figure out like what to feed my kids in the morning. That's mm -hmm. quick. So yes. it's, they're like these like pre-made egg, egg things. Cups, right? Yeah. Yeah. Those are really good. Yeah. So uh, I, those, that was the only thing I picked up that was on sale. Cause I was just like, I need something else in the house besides Eggo waffles. <laughs> so don't worry. We're in Eggo. <laughs> so, so, so yeah. You're not alone. Thank you. Anyway, NRF president and CEO Matthew Shea says June retail data uh, sales show that consumers remain on solid footing despite rising prices. Shea continued that inflation has consumers modifying their spending behavior and prioritizing essentials like food, energy, and back-to-school items. It's true. I haven't bought a home goods item in, in months. I was going to say that's true. My husband and I have done nothing fun. We haven't gone out. Yeah. Or actually, on Prime Day, I bought myself two Yankee candles because they were like a very good price, and I like my house smelling good. So I, I take that back. great nine, $9 jeans. I bought these great <laughs> Levi's. $9.99. You can't find Levi's for that price. No way. No so way. besides all that, but that was Prime. And I feel like Prime Day is different from day to day. Oh, okay. You know, so it's a special holiday. So unfortunately, modified consumer behavior won't be sufficient to offset persistent price increases. Other policy measures like removing China tariffs, enacting smart immigration reforms, and investing in supply chain resiliency are needed to lower costs for American families and put much-needed dollars back into their pockets. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Bye.